Our text today is out of Luke 9, 57 through 62. Title is Putting Your Hand to the Plow. The cost of discipleship is high. Uh, this comes a lot, of course, for those who are in the, the book of Jude with, with us in, in Sunday school. Uh, I've been blessed with the opportunity to teach that and through that. And I was sharing with them this morning how much I had missed throughout the years of, of reading this book uh, over the last 23 years of being a Christian. I've read this many, many times, and I miss so much from it. I... I I, I don't think I ever really tried to grab a hold of what it meant literally to contend earnestly for the faith. And I've come to a conclusion that, that somewhat still shocks me. Contending earnestly for the faith doesn't necessarily always have to do with contending with others. A lot of times it's the battles that I have within myself. And as we were in class this morning and we were talking about it, uh, I, I shared, you know, I, I was uh, driving truck when I first came back from Nevada uh, and, and I'd run into a, a gentleman, Charlie, and, and he had some problems with things and he knew that I used to build power line when I was in Nevada and he asked me to stop and, and work on something at his, his house and, and Dan, he could relate to this really well. You know, I get over there and I'm looking at it, it's a 480 line running out to his his pump and, and stuff. And I'm, Man, I don't have hot gloves. I, I don't have a bucket truck. I don't have a ladder. I don't have grip. don't have hoist. Don't. And a Ma Bell that actually holds the triplex was broken. And I didn't have one of those. And, and this gentleman slaps me on the back. Hey, can you fix that? Uh, yeah, but I need the right tools. And you know what? That's what we need here as Christians. We have to get in and get the right tools. I, I can't come and, and teach you what I think. I can't think that power line back up there and fix it. Uh, has anybody here ever built fence 60 feet in the air without any tools? Because that's what building power line is. It's just simply building fence 60 feet in the air. But if you don't have the right tools, you can wish it all you want. You can pray about it all you want. you still got to have the tools. Uh, so when I look at the Word of God... And within myself, I have to have the right tools. I have to have a passion to know who Christ is according to what the Word says. Not what somebody says about the Word, but exactly what it says about itself. And when we come in and we, we equip one another, if I don't give you the whole truth from the Word, regardless of a like or dislike of that, I have failed you. If you share with your children the, the gospel, but you don't talk about the cost thereof, how will they understand the need? If you don't, if you don't talk about sin, what is, what is the gospel without a knowledge of sin? What, what, what is the good news? What, why do I need this, this Savior on the cross? What, that doesn't make sense to me. And even Paul says within the Word, he says... I wouldn't have known coveting was a sin if the law hadn't made the statement that coveting's a sin. But all too often nowadays, this is set to the side over here, and it's the man standing behind the pulpit's opinion that you hear. It's his values. But my opinions and my values don't lead you to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
The word of God makes statements about who Christ is. And it makes statement about who we are as his disciples. And nowhere in the midst of that does it tell me or does it teach me to stand up here and tell you it's going to be easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't easy for him, how will I expect it to be easy for me? If they've hated him, how would I expect better treatment than God himself in the flesh? But yet we, and, and, and Pastor Mickey talks about this frequently, within the, the Western church, let's use the term loosely, but uh, within the Western church, there's such a concept, if, if you're not comfortable, if you don't have said house and said neighborhood with said amount of bank account and everything, then you're not blessed. But Christ says, I, birds there don't, or the birds there have nests, foxes have holes, but I don't have a place to lay my head. And we are to expect better than him. But that's what we've been taught. There's such a, a prosperity thought process within the Western culture that that's what we've been taught. And, and, and I'm looking at the word of God and, and, and I'm thinking about what it means to contend earnestly for that faith within myself and the battles and coming back to that exact thing. Looking at myself within the battles that I have I, I have family that are, that are not Christian, and they become extremely upset uh, when you talk about Christian, Christian principles. Uh, and I shared this in class, and, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's somewhat odd to me. Nobody wants to hear about the gospel until you come into a family group uh, where they know that they have a bunch of them that they can hopefully stand against you. And, and, and then they want to pick the scab off. And they want to ask you a question. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have some answer that want, that, that, that's seeking confrontation with them, but I, I want to present the gospel to them without apology. And, and, and the thing that comes within me is, is I need to learn to do it in a manner that doesn't set aside things that I know that's going to make them uncomfortable because I, I'm worried about conflict. Uh, there, there's, there's so many things... There's people here who have loved ones that are homosexuals. I'm not asking you to go out and kick the teeth out of the homosexual, but if they ask you what the gospel says, if they ask you what the Bible says about homosexuality, what do you tell them? But, uh, do, 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 you, do you give them the truth from what it says? Because if you stay in that practice, if you lie... Because it, it, it doesn't just talk about homosexuality. It talks about drunkards. It talks about sodomites. It talks about homosexuals. They're both in the same sentence. So that means male, female. You, that's still wrong. There's things that you don't do. There's these different aspects that, that it gives. And it, it's blatant that of such were some of you. It was the power of the gospel, the truth that said, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven if you remain in these things. But by the gospel, the power of Christ on the cross, you can be forgiven of these things. They were redeemed because somebody told them the truth. It's what you just said, Sean. And that's an uncomfortable thing for many, many people. They, they don't want to hear that you're going to be condemned to hell 
if you stay in these practices. They don't want to hear that. But the reality of it is, is you cannot be okay with God and stay in those practices. But there is redemption from them. Paul says, you were, some of you were these things. You see, I'm a drunkard. I'm saved by grace through faith, and it was a gift from God. And I've been, I've been healed of, of many things. But that was a great sin in my life. And there was, there's many others. I mean, I, you, I'd really rather you didn't pick a ray of them, but you could probably get a full bouquet if you did. But God is gracious and merciful. But it took somebody telling me the whole truth. And there was a man, and I shared his name before, Evan Carpenter, who stood up under my ridicule and my mocking and my foul language and my attitude towards him, my anger towards him for daring to proclaim the whole truth of the gospel and my need of forgiveness. Couldn't stand him, so I just did everything I could to be spiteful to that man. And he loved me so much, he stood up underneath that and he shared the gospel with me again and again. Years later, I ran into him and shook his hand before he passed away. A lot of you know him. He owned Assist Auto Brokerage in Wendell. Uh, and he's went home with, to be with the Lord since then. But he never stopped loving me and sharing the whole truth with me. The cost of discipleship was high for him. He was ridiculed and mocked by Jim Kepler and I. I mean, we ripped and we ripped on him. We did everything we could to try to deter him. And he never stopped loving us. And sharing the gospel with us. And a lot of us are afraid to share with our families because, well, they might not invite. Well, I got news for you. Most of them don't invite me that much anyway. So, uh, And I'm starting to understand a little bit more why. I eat a lot. So, no, not Jesus. Uh, coming back to, to the text, Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you. Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Lord, I do ask your blessings as we share from your word this day, that, that we would drink in your truth and that you would help this simple man, Lord, to share your truth in a way that edifies the saved and that convicts the lost, that the lost would be saved and the edified of the saved would be strengthening to them. Father, I lift our lives up to you in this congregation. I pray your spirit upon us. In Christ's name, amen. So as I, as I look through that, and, and I look at the end of that, as he starts to make that statement, that uh, putting his hand to the plow and turning back is not worthy of me. And I look at this so much more in the context of how we interact with our families. Uh, when, we, when we have the blessing and the opportunity and we go out and we share the gospel, a lot of those people, some of them you've met before, a lot of them you have never met before, 
But uh, I, I, I'll pick on Matt. Matt's a, is an officer and very grateful for the men who do that. And when he, he, he's going to run into a lot of people he knows when he shares the gospel. Uh, now, he's, he's also going to run into a lot of people he knows that there's probably physical confrontation to get them arrested. Uh, this is a tough spot to be. As it, the one thing that, that I recall in, in pastoring is, is a young man saying, you shouldn't act like that. You're, you're, you're a Christian. You're a pastor. And, and I'm saying, no, I, I also have a job to do. And my firing you has nothing to do with, with my pastorate. It has everything to do with your inability to per, perform your job. Uh, but they, they wanted to take and turn it. See, like I said, there, there's a cost of discipleship here. You're held accountable. Everybody that knows you're a Christian, they hold you accountable. But the bad thing is they hold you accountable according to what they think rather than what the Word of God says. And if you do not act on the Word of God according to what it says, if you do not teach according to the Word of God and what it says, if you don't proclaim it as what it says, they will continue with their opinions rather than the value of truth. Now, he's still going to have the same tough job to do, but he doesn't need to use the Lord's name in vain in the process of doing it. He can, he can still carry out his duties and, and, and protect and serve and do all of these things, and even if he has to physically do so to, to restrain somebody, to arrest them, etc., he can still do all those things and be a godly man. The thing is, is, is often we condone things that are outside of Scripture by how we act, by what we say, by what we do. Uh, and, and, and I catch myself doing this often. I don't like it. I need to change. I need to come back. And I need to contend earnestly for the faith within myself. And that's what I'm asking you here to do is to hold yourself to the light of God's word, to realize when you put your hand to the plow and, and you're in front of your family, regardless of how they might mock and ridicule and, 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 and try to tear you down, that you stand firmly on the foundations of the gospel. For that's the power of salvation. Interacting with them on, I hate the term their level, but for lack of a better term, does not help them. It sells your walk down the river. It does not help them. As I have been blessed with the opportunity to teach through the book of Jude in our Sunday school time here at Northridge Fellowship, I, because of the content thereof, am becoming increasingly aware of a willingness of the church to compromise the word of God, lest they be called into verbal confrontation and slandered as a bigot or a homophobic or sued for a biblical stance that is not woke in its content, such as the gentleman Jack Phillips, baker in Colorado, he was a, or is a baker in Colorado, who refused to make a cake for a gay couple. He was slandered, nationally slandered, ridiculed, and mocked. And I remember that there was a, a, a lady who would not sell a license to, to two young women who wanted to get married. And they fired her for it. And, and I'm not on Facebook anymore. This has been a couple of, probably four years ago that this happened. That, uh, at that time, I still was. And I remember some of my former classmates, they're saying, she just needs to shut up and do her job. 
And I spent 45 minutes writing like three sentences. Because I carefully wanted to choose every word, lest they be able to turn it and use it to, to, to mock God and ridicule the stance that the lady took. It was hard for her because she put her hand to the plow and she refused to turn back. And it cost her her job. It cost national slandering, ridicule, and mocking, just like it did with the, the, the baker. I, as far as I know, he's still in business, but it, it cost him a great deal. Uh, but he took a stance for what was right. He took a stance for what was scriptural. And, and he didn't profess some, well, in my opinion, what's your opinion worth? No, it says, according to my faith, I will not do this because the word of God says ABC. And the lady who, who refused to sell the license, yes, it cost her her job. Yes, she was sued. Yes, there was a bunch of things that took place in, in a negative context toward her, toward her name. But she stood on the foundations of Scripture. And it's not just against the homosexual. That, that's, that's an easy target for, for any of us that stand behind the pulpit and, 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 and teach because it's so prevalent in today's church. Not in today's world, but the church. You see... I think that we can probably expect lost people to act like what? Lost people. The problem isn't with lost people. The problem in the church is people within the church not being willing to stand on what Scripture says because it might offend somebody. But I look at my Savior and as we read through this, hopefully you'll see this as well, and the eight woes that he pronounced against the Pharisees. You think that might be why he's dead? And then, then resurrected, he's not dead. But why he was murdered? I'd venture to say so. So ladies and gentlemen, there's no purpose in hating a lost person for sinful acts. With that said, there's also no purpose in condoning a lost person's sinful acts. Does that make sense? There's no sense in hating for it. They're, they're acting like what they are. Just like you and I act when, 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 before Christ. Uh, to, I, I told you, I'm a recovering alcoholic addict. And, and, and there's many things that go with those addictions that are horrific. And the things that you do are horrific. And the words that you use are horrific. They are sin against God. And they all manifest as a huge ball of, of not very pleasant trappings of, of, of who the individual is. So with, with all of that, at, uh, I acted like a lost person. Uh, but I did not expect my mom, I did not expect Evan and, and others that were Christians to condone that. I, I, I expected what they gave me. I, I, I have a perception of what a Christian is, and condonement of my sin is not one of those perceptions. Conviction of my sin was that perception. But they didn't expect me to act a different way. They knew who I was. I didn't hide it. The problem that I see is, is the, the, the condonement by much of the church rather than, than saying, and again, we'll come back to the, 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 the easy target of homosexuality. There's a lot of churches 
denominations throughout the Western United States that have now embraced it. And they're telling people, you're okay, but what's the word of God say? You're condemned. You are. You're condi- if you stay in this practice, you're condemned to hell. That's what the word of God says. If I love you, what will I tell you? If I love you, I'll tell you the truth. If you stay in that practice, you're condemned to hell. Just like Evan loved me enough to tell me, if you continue with the alcoholism and the meth addiction and the other things, you will be condemned to hell. And, and he endured my, yeah, whatever, I don't believe in that. <laughs> and his exact response was, your lack of belief in it doesn't make it any less true. Does, does that make sense? Your lack of acceptance of that doesn't mean that it's not true. It is still true. And, 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 and that's, that's, that's a reality that, that if I present that and, and say that to you, say, well, how do you know that there's a God? Well, I can look around because God has manifest himself through his creation. We can look around and see that there is a creator. This didn't happen by chance. It didn't happen by evolution. It takes a lot more faith to be an evolutionist than it does to be a creationist. A lot more. Uh, I, I don't even know where you could come up with the concept that we came out of a one-cell amoeba, learned to walk, talk, and, and think, and uh, we would have starved to death before we ever got there. My goodness, uh, most of us are thinking about dinner right now. Uh, if you didn't have a brain cell to think about it, how would you know to eat? Right? I mean, it, the whole concept of, that's another story, I won't get there, but it's just ludicrous to think of. Uh, but, okay, back to lost people act exactly like what they are, lost people. But also note, please, that <clears throat> you are not going to win a lost person to salvation by compromising the word of God. I just used the term ludicrous. I'll use it again. It is ludicrous to compromise the power that is needed to lead them to salvation and then expect them to find it. If I compromise, if, I, if I'm unwilling to stand on what God says is sin and your need of a Savior because of that sin, if I am unwilling to do that because it might make you uncomfortable or I'm trying to draw you in and build a congregation on that drawing you in and I'm unwilling to profess the truth to you, how can I expect you to find it? If I compromise the word of God, if you compromise on what you know to be true within the word of God, how can you expect someone else to know what that truth is? That's what I'm asking the church today. When they're open arms embracing, whether it's, it's homosexuality or, or adultery, living together, because or, or, this, this is going on in large droves within the body of Christ... There are people who are embracing these things. Oh, you're fine. You'll get it right. No, you're not fine. Yes, maybe you will come to a point where you are married. But what you're doing right now is not right. Living Living in an adulterous relationship, looking at pornography, using the Lord's name in vain, lying to your boss, stealing from your boss, stealing from others, stealing from your family, taking the very values that that you're supposed to be passing on to your children and and displaying 
violence and, and animosity between husband and wife and all these different aspects of things, if that is what you are showing people and you're telling them that that's okay and you are embracing that, you are literally leading these people to believe that that's what's, hey, it's in the Word of God. It must be in the Word of God because all the Christians are doing it. It's okay. How can I expect you to know the truth if I'm not standing and teaching and living out the truth? How can we expect the next generation to come up behind us that we're so worried about as they, they come into the school systems and stuff and they, they're, they're, they're being taught all of these things that are acceptable and you and I don't stand in front of the school board and say, no, no, you're not going to claim my children. No, you're not, go- you're not going to lead them down a path that, that this is okay. Hey, the children are going to go the path of least resistance. Outside of God acting in their life, they will go the path of least resistance. So how hard is it for us Christians to stand up and say, the word of God says. And actually live that out. And not compromise it. It must be pretty difficult. Because there's not very many people doing it. That's the truth of it. There's not very many people doing it. And I, I, I look at, I, I've got this written uh, in bigger font across the top. May it be that our hearts refuse to stop seeking the fulfillment of revival in the body of Christ. I'm telling you, the fulfillment of the revival that we are seeking in the body of Christ will come at the expense of us standing on what Scripture says. God wants to inhabit a people who believe him for who he is and who he says he is in the scriptures. It is impossible to please God without faith. If you don't have the faith that God is who he says he is in scripture, how can you please him? And if you stand on on what scripture says, are you condemning other people? No. I haven't condemned anybody by standing up here and saying anything. If you're convicted, the word of God condemns. My job is to tell you what it says. But even more importantly, my job is to live out what it says. To not live in adultery. To to not speak in, in, in manners of coarse jesting. To not do these things which are an offense to God. And I tell you, I battle with it. I am... I'm so far from perfection, you can't even chuck a rock and hit me. That, uh, that I, I, I know as we go through this in, in Jude, I, and I'm being convicted stronger as I seek for, for revival in my own heart, that these are things I've got to change in my life. Lest I just be another statistic and my family fall in the same category. How do we broach divisive topics? Well, first thing is, is you're going to have to take popularity and set it over here. Okay, because you're not going to be popular. If somebody asks you a question, and, and I talked about the scab picking earlier in the family thing. I, like I said, I, I got a family, I love my family, but I can guarantee you that in the midst of things, because of, of, of who they are and, and the struggles that we've had throughout our entire history, and them knowing me from the time I was a child and the things that I carried out through my addiction and stuff, that, that's a scab that they want to they pick that off real quick. Uh, 
So I'm going to have to set popularity aside. I might not get invited for next Christmas dinner. Well, that'll leave bird for everybody else, I guess. Uh, but the, the reality of it is, is if I love them, and I do, I'm going to tell them the truth. So I'm, I, I might only get one shot at this because I might not get invited back. And as how I'm the run of the family, I'll probably get a black eye too. That, that's, that's okay. That's all right. So how do we broach divisive topics? Simply put, the answer is we broach them scripturally. We enter into the conversation with the knowledge that the closest to, to us may well, excuse me, that those closest to us may well seek out our very own demise. So Matthew 10, 32 through 37. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father, who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father, who is in heaven. Do not think I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. This, that, that, that's a whole lot there to tell you. If you love somebody, you're going to share the truth with them. And part of that truth might require you setting your popularity and your relationship over there. What's your primary relationship in life? It needs to be between you and Jesus Christ. Uh, and then all others will follow suit. If you want to give your best to other people, if you want your cup to overflow that they might receive the rewards of, of God's blessings to you, put God first. Put God first. It can't be them as more important. I can't say things that are just going to make them comfortable because I'm afraid of conflict with them or I'm afraid of, of, of permanent division with them. I have to come back to the truth of God's word. These are tough things to do. But as I'm seeking revival, this is what God's saying to me. This is what I need of you, Brian Parrish. I need you to set aside yourself and put me first. I need you to proclaim me rather than what you know people want to hear. I don't want you to pick through the knowledge that I've given you from Scripture and dance around the things that will actually convict somebody. I want you to just say it. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. That's just it's not what, what anybody wants to hear. This is what the Lord says. And, and it's difficult. I've got children that, that I desperately love, and I, and I want to be in their lives all the time as much as possible. I've got a grandson that, that is phenomenal. But, uh, and, and I want him to know the truth. I want him brought up with the knowledge of Jesus Christ to be able to stand strong. I ask God to give him courage to fight the good fight. And, and, and the Spirit speaks pretty plainly to my heart from his word. You need to ask that for yourself. You fight the good fight. 
Don't be funny. That's, that's, that's one of the biggest, biggest things that I see within. It's so easy within the context of work to, to fall into banter with others and say something that's inappropriate. And I catch myself, what are you doing? What are you doing? They might not know, but you do. And that's enough. Is there anything powerful enough to stop false teaching? Uh, coming back to the body of Christ and, and where I see the biggest struggles is not from without but from within. Some amazing things noted in Scripture that have taken place from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 27, 50-54, upon Christ's death on the cross, dead people, saints of old, in the tombs, because there was a great earthquake, and the first thing that they note is the curtain was what? Torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. So who tore it? Who opened up the Holy of Holies? God himself. And the tombs were split apart. I taught this once when I was going through and, and, and was a part of a, of a Northridge members class. And a lady got really mad at me. She said, no, that's not what happened. I guarantee you it did happen. The tombs were opened and the dead of old, the saints of old, were brought to life and they went to town and were manifested to many. Did that stop the false teaching? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. I, I, I've, I've heard somebody, we were talking, Mr. Jeff and I were talking this morning when we were praying and, and, and going through and, and all of the things that are taking place in the gospel and all the stuff that's being brought forth as the, the New Testament is being lived and written and, and God has inspired these men to do this. And the entire time, what is Paul and Peter and everybody else doing? Fighting against false teachers. Fighting against heresies within the church. Not those that were trying to attack it from outside, but those who had made it in. And, and, and were thought to be brothers and sisters in Christ. They were fighting against... I mean, Paul even had to fight with Peter. Now, that, that, I'm sure that was a comfortable confrontation, don't you reckon? But, uh, I, I look at this and I think, my goodness gracious, you, you, you're going up against, quote-unquote, the, the, the lead apostle... Because he's heretical in what he is doing in his actions by not eating with the, the Gentiles once the Jewish peoples showed up. So when, when, when you look at, that didn't stop it. Dead people being raised and walking through town. Hey, we're still going to teach what we want to teach because it's what we want because it builds us up and the Pharisees get to keep their place within society. Jesus, God in the flesh, who lived, died, and was resurrected and was seen by many. That didn't stop the lies. The very first thing they did was pay off the guards to lie, didn't they? Because they want to continue heresy. That didn't stop it. So you, ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard as we, excuse me, I jumped too far ahead there. You haven't heard yet, but you will, I hope. <laughs> Jesus, God in the flesh, who lived, died, and was resurrected, and was seen by many. That didn't stop the lies. As a matter of fact, please indulge me in the closing of this, this, this time together and read with me the gospel as presented in the word 
and also as Paul has to admonish those who would teach that Christ is not raised from the dead. You see, he's battling that. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 20. Right in the middle of sharing the gospel, right in the middle of writing it out, just as beautiful and perfect as it is, the, the, the death, the life, the resurrection, the ascension, everything, it's all right there in this text, and he has to fight heresy at the very end of it. First Corinthians 15, 3 through 20. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Do you get the gospel here, ladies and gentlemen? For those who don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're about to hear the gospel written by God himself, inspired word, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the, to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I have labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether, whether then I was I or they, we preached, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how so among you, how, excuse me, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ from whom he did not raise, if indeed or fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all the most to be pitied. Verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have, who have or excuse me, who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. When you look at that, that's the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ went to the cross for our sins. And, and if, you, if you have a question about what sin is, but, uh, well, just, just, just look at your life, because he, he, he's written it on your heart. You know it's wrong to kill. You know it's wrong to commit adultery. You know it's wrong to lie. Uh, if you don't know it's wrong to lie, you should have had my mom. She'd educated you. She did me. Uh, lions, that's, that's a bad aspect of life, a very painful lesson. 
sometimes many times over. But the, the reality of it is, is we know right from wrong. These are things that are sins against God. And sin separates us from God. Lying separates you from God. Disrespecting your parents separates you from God. Blasphemy separates you from God. In other words, using the Lord's name in vain, using it as a cuss word or just an idle word, that's sin against God. You've got nothing to offer God when you get before him. I've heard many people that are from the lost side of things say, when I get there, I'll reason this. and I'll, No, you won't. You won't reason anything with him. You see, he's a holy God. He is just and he is righteous. And there's nobody who will stand before him and reason anything with him. You see, he has the ultimate authority. And I know we think we have authority. I know we think we have a vote. But before God, you do not. But God wants a relationship with you. You're here for a reason. You're here today is what I'm saying for a reason. For the very thing that you just heard. That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, lived a perfect and righteous life and then gave that life on the cross, not for anything he did wrong, but for everything you did wrong. And he gave that life and then he took that life back up again that we could have hope of the resurrection, a newness in life. That sacrifice, that bloodshed, that was for you to redeem you. That resurrection is so that you know that you have a living Savior who sits at the right hand of God who makes a mediation for you. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. If you don't have a relationship with him, well, the question is, 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 is he awakening you? Has he spoken to your heart? You ladies and gentlemen have just heard the gospel from the content within the text we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So what are you going to do with it? The lost who are here have just heard the proclamation of the word that leads them to salvation. That is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Faith to believe in this, faith to believe in this, is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 from 9. 2, 8 and 9. Have you been given that gift of faith today? To, be, to the saved, what are you going to do with it? Compromise it in order to make yourself and others in your life more comfortable? Or stand on its truth and pray God uses this conviction to make you and others uncomfortable enough that they would change? So Christian, that's what I'm asking you. Does, it, does this mean enough that you're willing to change? Is this powerful enough that it's getting a hold of you by the insides and saying, you need to change, you need to stand on the truth because it's the power of what was just read out of 1 Corinthians that leads people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not your opinion, it's not your encompassing them, it is not your embracing their sin to get them here that's going to save them. It is the conviction from the word of Jesus Christ, from the word of God, that they need a Savior. That's what's going to save them. Condoning what they have done wrong does not help them. You don't have to condemn them. The word of God does that. But you have the responsibility to stand on the truth of what it says 
and teach that without apology. I am not sorry that God has named it sin. The only sorrow I might have in my heart would be as if you did not hear me clearly make the statement that without Jesus Christ, you will not have a place in the kingdom of heaven. If I haven't told you that, I failed you. And I told you that. So what are you going to do with it? How does it change the Christian? And how does it convict the lost to salvation? It's the power unto salvation. The word of God, don't, don't compromise it. And realize when you put your hand to that plow, it's a high cost. It's going to cost you everything. Everything you have, it will cost you. But hey, I got news for you at the other side. The retirement benefits are out of this world. I thank you. God, I do praise you, Father. I thank you for the blessings of being here with brothers and sisters. And I pray, God, that you would use this word to convict and move the lost to salvation and, Lord, the saved to edification. In Christ's name, amen.